Hey, it's Christopher from The Paper Machete. Thanks for tuning in this week. This would normally be Pride Weekend in Chicago and in a lot of other American cities. And for many gay curmudgeons like myself, who never really found acceptance or identity in the gay community or gay culture, Pride Weekend can be kind of a dreaded and dreadful event. But of course, you never know the value of something until it's gone. And the collective loss of something that brings so many outsiders and marginalized people so much joy and meaning, it definitely blows. So this week's episode, it's pretty gay, you guys. It's it's gay. It's like it's as gay as the dress me up J. Edgar Hoover doll that Lindsey Graham played with as a child. It's very gay. But uh, I just wanted to say this before we get to the music and the comedy, and it's it's frankly a pretty hilarious show this week. So many wonderful comics. I'm delighted about the comedy you're about to hear. But before we get to that, we have to address the fact that we watched another black American get murdered on camera this week. Elijah McLean in Aurora, Colorado. So this is a warning that I'm just going to say a few words about him. You know, with each of these videos that we're forced to watch, we hear what people have to say in their final moments. There's nothing like it, hearing people plead for their life. It's an absolutely gruesome, macabre form of reality television cum snuff film. So most people, it seems, plead for their lives in the most simple, basic way possible, very often explaining that they're choking, which makes sense. I think most of us would do the same. What we saw with Elijah McClain seems unprecedented. I don't think we've ever seen a person plead for their life quite this way before in their final moments. He told the police officers so much of his personal biography and his belief systems and his worldview. He really put himself out there in an earnest attempt to save his own life. I'm not going to repeat any of what he said, but if you're a white person who has not seen it yet, it is devastating and I would compel you to watch it please. It actually happened in 2019, and though we only really learned about his murder this last week, it's already an important chapter in American history. Elijah was 23. He was coming home from a convenience store at night. This was last August. He was wearing a ski mask because he had anemia and he was often cold. But this was perceived as suspicious by police who attempted to stop him. It's a minor variation on a common story we're increasingly familiar with now. But a thing we know about Elijah is that he was on the autism spectrum. And in his case, this manifested in an uncommon sensitivity. Those who knew and loved him speak of a rarefied gentility. And we can't allow this gentility to be weaponized against other police brutality victims who are anything less than gentle. That is not fair. But we still still have to honor and acknowledge this gentility. Elijah was a pacifist. And a certain cruel streak of evangelical Christianity has come to dominate the American spiritual dialogue in recent years. Pacifism is just not a concept that we hear about very often. Elijah was a massage therapist. He did not eat meat. 
Elijah McLean played the violin for kittens in animal shelters, which which that's just some real St. Francis of Assisi Dr. Doolittle shit right there, you know. Elijah's family and Black Lives Matter activists have offered a degree of scorn for our nation's attention to his unjust murder now, almost a full year after it happened. It seems so late and arbitrary and trendy in a really tacky way, and this anger is certainly understandable. That said, though this public hearing is past due in an embarrassing way, I would be remiss if I didn't acknowledge that Elijah was so eccentric. He was he was bohemian, a self-possessed, beautiful weirdo. And he knew this about himself. His plea for his life was uncommonly rich with personal details about these eccentricities in this cadence and language that it was it was almost a poem. You know, when you're in the arts or when you're on the fringe in any way, you're often blessed to meet and to know people like Elijah, folks that truly march to their own drumbeat, people that vibrate in the world as their own drumbeat. And this Pride weekend, which is all about celebrating the differences, right? It feels like this unapologetically quirky, authentically eccentric young American, it feels like he died for the sins of everybody else who ever lived outside the box and got away with it. I know that's a lot, but we can't let the few minutes that we were blessed and cursed to spend with him pass without acknowledging that the world was somehow supposed to know this person. And we were supposed to know him better. Anyway, with that, this is the Paper Machete Audio Magazine. And we're about to get gay as shit. Here to open this week's show is a Green Mill performance by Glitter Money. Pussy pop it on your casket, got that bomb bomb tap. 
Austin. Punk moving acrobatic to the streets we causing traffic. Glitter money wreaking havoc like boom. Fly breaking the ground, jiggle jiggle and boom. You ready to pound? Steal in the crown by horsing around. That's too much, man. Burn it all down. Bring the flame, smoke through the pain. Leave no remains. No more shame. Our time reclaim. We won't be tamed. Your baby mama screams our name. That was Glitter Money, and this is the Machete Audio Magazine, June 27th, 2020, Pride Edition. And after that, admittedly, somber preamble this week, it seems like we should start off with something really rollicking. And the best way to do it, the most high-spirited way to do that, I think, would obviously be to mercilessly mock humorless heterosexuals. And one year ago this weekend, the streets of Boston were flooded with unironic, humorless straight people for the very first annual Straight Pride Parade. And, you know, flooded probably isn't the right word. It sounds like it was more of a gentle mist. Anyway, the machete certainly wasn't going to miss out on a chance to weigh in on the first annual Straight Pride Parade, which we did the following weekend. And these are the hilarious results, which I think are still very resonant. Here's Whitney Chitwood. Monday, July 1st. Seemed like any other day in Boston. Everyone was parking their car in Harvard Yard. And the afternoon summer heat was traipsing through town like Garfield the Cat on ketamine. I hate Mondays too, pal. <laughs> but mundane flipped, flipped to madness quicker than a politician's opinions on universal health care during an election season. A threat hitherto unknown was discovered in the greater Bostonian area. A threat so great, the FBI, three fire departments, and a bomb squad were mobilized. Three civilian citizens, John, Mark, and Sam, each received a piece of mail. In this digital age, receiving physical mail can be a nostalgically exciting occurrence, but, but like the latest season of Stranger Things, nostalgic excitement doesn't always yield an enjoyable outcome. <laughs> the letters received were filled with an unknown substance and devoid of any return address. Further thickening the plot, Mark, John, and Sam are all self-identified members of a highly marginalized group, and just last month, they declared they were going to not take it anymore. No longer would they tolerate, nay, suffer. <laughs> their oppressors sequin heels in Doc Martens metaphorically crushing their throats. They sounded a rallying cry from Boston to Twitter to 4chan and called their brother and sister in, the only two real genders there are, to join them in the streets. <laughs> well, they knew there would be backlash. But the idea of something like this something as psychologically torturous as an unreturned address-labeled envelope filled with an unknown substance? Terrifying. Thankfully, the feds declared the letters not to be dangerous, and Mark and John and Sam were able to return to their work as founders and operators of the organization named Super Happy Fun America. Sure. It's, sounds like a shittily translated anime. But... Super Happy Fun America, or ch <laughs> It's just simply a group of like-minded individuals with a singular goal in mind. They advocate for things like equality, social mobility, justice, and tolerance for and of their community. This month, <laughs> is finally being able to spread their message in the form of a parade. A parade of pride. Because Mark, John, Sam, and their constituents are all proud boys. <laughs> proud, straight, white boys. <laughs> That's right. 
I'm sorry, that's far right. <laughs> Super Happy Fun America is the collective responsible for organizing Boston's first annual straight pride parade. Oh, man, what an event. I'm sorry. Oh, straight white man, what an event <laughs> it is sure to be. The sight of what one can only fathom is literally tens, if not hundreds, gathering <laughs> together and marching themselves all across Beantown. They even have a high-profile grand marshal, Milo Yiannopoulos. Oh, you know Milo. A man who looks like the second understudy in a non-equity bus and truck tour of Siegfried and Roy the Musical, Milo. Come on. He is, of course, the man who made his book deal and job at Breitbart disappear when he expressed his condoning of adult men dating minors. But it used to happen in Greece, he said. For sure. For sure, ancient Greeks got everything socially right. They, slavery and almost all crimes being punished by death. For Nailed it, just nailed it. Just to give you some background, uh, Mark, John, and Sam, uh, no homo, who <laughs> were scandalized by the deli- Oh, by the way, the substance in the envelope was glitter. <laughs> and look, I know what you're thinking. Glitter! <laughs> it's scintillating flakes. Craft herpes. <laughs> yes. Thank God for the FBI. In regards to the arrival of the FBI, three fire departments and a bomb squad to his home, Sam of Mark, John, and Sam, but not like in a gay way, said, my neighbors are probably pretty irritated with me. Oh, Sam. My dear Sam. They undoubtedly hated you long before this incident. I, You've been quoted saying, it's perfectly natural and normal to celebrate heterosexuality. How? <laughs> How do you celebrate heterosexuality, Sam? I can't imagine in a way that makes your neighbors comfortable. <laughs> also, Sam's last name is misspelled on the Shva website, which is just hilarious. Um, if that doesn't get the sweet, sweet Shva ideological flavor in your mouth, maybe this will. The president of Shva, John of Mark, John, and Sam, no homo, goddammit, is quoted saying, John's quoted saying, perhaps one day, I don't know why he's Kennedy, but I decided he was. Uh, <laughs> perhaps one day. <laughs> Straits will be honored with inclusion. <laughs> and the acronym will be LGBTQS. <laughs> this is a 56-year-old baby boomer who wants a participation trophy. Do you understand? <laughs> he calls straights the oppressed majority. And having ran an unsuccessful congressional campaign in 2018 where he lost by 161,000 votes, John is clearly the person the majority wants to speak for them. I could honestly take a million different jabs at John. Uh, he looks like a bigoted droopy dog, for instance. Uh, his jowls could be used as a grade school PE class's parachute. But... But I won't say those things. I will say, I don't, I don't like parades. Like, like, I don't like parades in general. You know, you're surrounded by drunk strangers while projectiles are hurled at you by a person you're waving at who you don't know. I don't like the pride parade. I like the motorcycles. But the parade itself, it's just not for me, you know? But I didn't become gay for the, pari like, the parade potential, you know? I... <laughs> I became gay for the haircuts and the shared wardrobe opportunities. That's why. I, but I also didn't become gay. That was the way. Ta-da. Um, the Pride Parade, though, isn't the embodiment of queerness anymore. You know, I don't, I don't know if it ever was, honestly. 
Like we, we fought for marriage equality while an utter genocide of trans women of color was and is taking place. And look, we say those names of those murdered just this year alone, Dana, Jazeline, Ashanti, Claire, Malaysia, Tanika, Paris, Chanel, Chanel, Zoe, Joa, Laylene, Brooklyn, but what are we doing? We're sending glitter. The Human Rights Campaign, which is a fraught organization within itself, publishes a yearly corporate equality index evaluating uh, corporations on their policies serving their LGBTQ plus employees. In Chicago's Pride Parade, there were no fewer than nine corporations with less than a 100% evaluation that had floats. It's the commodification of victimhood. Queer people, we've been told we have to fight for acceptance. Women have been told we have to fight for reproductive freedom. Black people have been told they have to fight for equality. Immigrants have been told they have to fight for citizenship. Disabled people have been told they have to fight for accessibility. But here comes Verizon. <laughs> here comes Allstate. Here comes Comcast Xfinity on their white horses to save us. Prior to 1980, it wasn't gay pride. It was gay liberation and gay freedom. The chant was, we're here. We're queer, get used to it. And now it feels like we're gay. Hey, hey, take our money. I'm not good at chance. But <laughs> <laughs> the chant for the straight pride parade is you're there, you're straight, we're bored of it. Um, and I know, I know, I know queer people are gonna protest the straight pride parade, but I, I don't think I don't think anyone should. Not only because parades suck, and it's potentially dangerous, but uh, if no queer people are there, it's a lot easier to see who is and remember. Mark, John, and Sam, no homo, no fucking homo, bro, are goddamn idiots. And you know, I, I say we let those straights have the pride, because we gotta start finding our liberation and freedom again. Thank you so much. Yes. Green Mill, give it up. Whitney Chitwood is a writer and stand-up living in Chicago. And speaking of proud straight people, last weekend, Tulsa, Oklahoma was positively teeming with them. The occasion, of course, was the return of President Trump to his signature stadium rallies, though the results were famously less than he had hoped for. That said, some folks still had a wonderful time. Let's check in on one of them now. Hi, my name is James Lee Crosby and on Saturday, June 20th, I risked confrontation with protesters, the contraction of the coronavirus and the possible loss of my black card to attend the reelection rally of President Donald J. Trump. I have to say it was a magical experience. It was beautiful beyond belief. It was like a pan of candied yams in its 13th minute of the cooling phase. I know a Donald Trump rally isn't for everybody and neither is almond milk. But if you're like me, an advocate for strict obedience to authority at the expense of personal freedoms, who hates contact with people who are not like you and you're not so secretly prejudiced against minorities with a preference for societal hierarchy of groups and a belief that you've been deprived of something you are entitled to, this was the place to be. It was so lively and so energetic and for a brief moment we all forgot the world was on fire. It was like a family reunion on Thanksgiving, two days before your 18-year-old nephew had to check into the penitentiary to begin a life sentence for murder too. It was perfect. For starters, it was in Tulsa. Tulsa, the home of Whirlpool, porn star Stacey Valentine and Hanson. Now I ask you, is there a better place for a Trump rally than the home of noisy machines, sex workers, and incoherent song lyrics? I say hell no. Nah. The planners nailed this one. Second of all, it was intimate. In a space that holds close to 19,000 humans, there were 6,200 people there. That's just a tad bit over 1% of the population of Tulsa. Intimate. Now the fake news media will show you empty seats. The fake news media will see the drawbacks, but I see the benefits. I see the 1% rule. The 1% rule states that the majority of the rewards in any field will go to the people that maintain a 1% advantage over the others. 
I got into the rally despite RSVPing the day of the rally. I got a good seat. I got to see the president without having to look at him through a jumbo screen because of the 1% advantage. And what was that advantage? The willingness to catch a deadly disease and die to see and hear Donald Trump talk. And talk he did. That man talked for over an hour and 45 minutes. I ain't heard a man talk that long since someone made the mistake of letting my now ex-wife's stepfather give a toast at our wedding. A pro tip, don't let drunk step-parents speak at weddings. If you do, you might as well serve finger foods because the meal gonna be cold around eating time. But I digress. Back to the rally. It was amazing. President Trump is such a great orator. I have listened to many a speech by many a speech writer in my day and they all have one thing in common. The use of transitions and segues. Not President Trump. He don't need those things. His ability to talk about the VA, then the NFL, then MS-13, then Boeing, then AOC without connecting any of the dots is outstanding. Outstanding, like the song by the Gap Band, another great group that hails from Tulsa. Now, I know all of y'all are media savvy, so you already know President Trump said he slowed down COVID testing to manipulate the numbers. You know he defended Confederate statues. You know he called the coronavirus Kung Flu. You already know that he bashed a bunch of Democratic politicians, and you may already know that he told us all we were lucky he was the president. But what you don't know are the stories. President Trump is a great storyteller. During the rally, he told a few stories, and they were magnificent compelling and not only were the stories insightful and entertaining they were rooted in morality there was a lesson in every one take for example the story of the leather shoes and the ramp there once was a president who had to walk down a steel ramp after delivering a commencement speech the ramp was slippery and the president's shoes didn't have rubber on the bottom so the president walked down the ramp slowly and deliberately the moral of the story don't wear shoes with leather on the bottom or people will think you have parkinson's there was the story of the woman and the ombre. Once there was a woman who was home alone because her husband was a traveling salesman. One night at one o'clock in the morning, an ombre broke into her window. The woman called 911, but because the police had been defunded, the answer was, sorry, the number is no longer working. The moral of the story, don't defund the police or don't marry traveling salesmen. And then there's the story of the two planes. There once was a president who wanted to buy two planes from a builder. The president wanted to pay $3 billion. The builder wanted $5 billion for the planes. The president called the builder a dumb son of a bitch and got the planes for $4 billion. The moral of the story, if you want to save a billion dollars, call the seller a dumb son of a bitch. President Trump is like a modern day Aesop if Aesop didn't use transitions and segues. I don't have enough time to tell you about all the glorious moments of the Tulsa rally. If you have the time and mental space, I invite you to Google the full transcript and experience the majesty that is President Trump's rally speech. I will tell you this. I've been to Disneyland, Disney World, and Cedar Rapids, and neither one of them experiences was as magical as the Tulsa rally. Now, because of the closeness of the seats and the absence of masks at the rally, I will probably most likely die of COVID-19, but I will die knowing that I got to witness the mind-boggling and sheer serility that is President Donald J. Trump. All right, everyone out. James Lee Crosby was created and played for the machete by the irrepressible and indispensable Seth K. Thomas a longtime staple of the Chicago comedy scene who only recently decamped to Los Angeles. We're delighted we could collaborate with him this week remotely. So, of course, I talked about Elijah McClain at the top of the show. I'm not really a comedian, though, and it's always interesting to me how comics manage to narrate tragedies in real time in their genre as the modern media world now often forces them to do. We are about to reach kind of deep into the archives now. This piece is almost exactly four years old. Obama was still the president, if you can even remember such a thing. Prior to George Floyd and Elijah McClain, one of the worst high water marks 
for police brutality on film was the first week of July 2016, when both Philando Castile and Alton Sterling were both killed on camera in the same week. It was unprecedented at the time. The country was braced by authentic shock. And the set you're about to hear was recorded just a few days later. And everybody who saw this set can still remember it because as you'll hear, this comic is just really in control of her craft. It's fucked up when terrible circumstances make for immaculate comedy precision. But this was truly satirical grace under pressure. And it's a pleasure to share it with you now. Here's Sonia Denis. Hey guys. Um, I realized that like everyone's talking about police brutality and like racism and I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna talk about something else, you know? Just kidding. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Ah, okay. <laughs> White people are tired. They're tired about hearing their, about their privilege. They're tired about hearing about how bad cops are because their uncle served on the NYPD for 20 years and he took one bullet one day stopping an armed robbery at a bodega. So when you post about your Black Lives Mattering and statuses about all the police doing terrible things, you're dishonoring his service because blue lives also matter and also their family didn't even own slaves and also their mom is Irish and Irish people were treated really badly in this country, okay? So they don't understand why you guys are so mad because life is hard for everyone. We're all one race, we all suffer. We all loved Justin Timberlake's first album. Do you understand? It was a good album. And listen, I don't wanna be the person that's like, listen white people, like, cause you're not all the same. You're all individuals. Some of you are team Bernie. Some of you are team Hillary. Some of you thought OJ was innocent. Like I get it, I get it. Especially white men, especially straight white men. I know you're tired about reading, reading all these Jezebel articles constantly attacking you for living your lives. You just wanna go watch a Cubs game, or maybe you're an MMA guy, or maybe you've read all of the Game of Thrones books. Like get it, you're different. I get it. But despite all your differences, you all share one thing in common, and that is that you get to live in a society that was created by people who are dead now to benefit you more than anyone else. And saying that isn't taking away from your accomplishments. You earned that communications degree. You, <laughs> you earned it. You did it. You did it, you know? <laughs> you brown nose your way to that promotion with that boss you hate. But the system is rigged, my white brothers and sisters. And let me put it in terms that we can all understand. Um, you know how sometimes you go to the club? Like, okay, so sorry. This is something that men can understand. You know how you go to a club? and you're standing in line and you see a group of really hot women walk up to the line and then after an hour and you're like, wait, what? And then they just get in and you're like, what the fuck is this? And then you get to the front of the line and the bouncer's like, there's a $20 cover and you're like, well, the hot chicks got to go in and they didn't have to pay and the bouncer's like, well, like, yeah, well, they were hot. So just replace hot with white and you get it. Do you understand? <laughs> you get it. <laughs> we just wanna go to your club without having to wait or pay a cover. We wanna do coke in the bathroom with the attendant in the handicap stall just like you. We wanna be able to vomit our Jaeger shots in the parking lot and back of Al's beef just like you. But the bouncer is institutionalized racism and he won't let us in. We don't know why. The myth of America is that if you work hard and you're smart, you will get ahead. But that's not true for everyone, it's a lie. This country has a lot of great qualities and I'm grateful that I get to live here. Both of my parents are immigrants. But American exceptionalism is bullshit. And before you start accusing me of being Benedict Arnold, you should know that I am very patriotic. My friend is currently dating a troop and even though he's a fucking idiot, I support their relationship <laughs> because I support the troops. Do you understand? <laughs> he took a bullet in Iraq, I was fine. Um, America is a, rich land, a land rich with opportunities, but that land is soaked in the blood of people who died to give us those opportunities. A lot of people attacked Abigail Fisher, the girl from Texas who took her case uh, against affirmative action all the way to the Supreme Court. Black Twitter called her Becky with the bad grades <laughs> because, 
That's true. Uh, <laughs> because despite having a 3.59 GPA, Abby demanded that the University of Texas let her in. But I don't blame Abby. I blame the society that created her. It's like, okay, so like, it's like if you're one of the actors from the Big Bang Theory, right? And like, Emmy time comes around and your show doesn't get nominated. And you're like, how the fuck is this possible? Um, <laughs> the show is syndicated. Like, we have millions of viewers who love this show. But the thing is, society has tricked them into believing that their horseshit, broad as fuck, medium racist show is actually good even though it's not. But whose fault is that? Kelly Kuko is a terrible actress, but I just paid for my beer in quarters, so why would she listen to me? Why? Why would she listen to me? I once heard a quote. <laughs> I once heard a quote on a podcast uh, <laughs> where I get all my news. Um, and it said that when you're accustomed to privilege, equality feels like oppression, which is what this is. You see, you get to make a choice and decide if you want to pay attention to racism or sexism or homophobia, and that's not your fault. But I wake up in the morning and I feel like Jerry Seinfeld or Frazier, you know, just a carefree white man enjoying my life. And then a random white man or white woman or even anybody on the street touches my hair and goes, oh, this is soft. And I remember that as American philosopher Billy Corgan once said, the world is a vampire. <laughs> so I'll close with this. If you're a white person, if you're a white man, and you read articles talking about privilege and white supremacy, stop taking it personally. Because like, unlike every episode of Friends, this isn't about you. It's not about you. It's about institutions. It's about systems. It's about history. And if you're exhausted by it, you can unfriend us, you can change the channel, you can close your browser, but the rest of us don't have that option. Thank you. Sonia Denis, who made that sound really easy when it really wasn't, is a former Chicago-based comedian who now lives in New York. We miss her. Okay, so this is a little controversial, but you know, which brand of queers seems to get the least amount of exposure? Bisexual men. I'm not exactly sure why, although all the ones that I've slept with have told me not to say anything about it to you, so maybe that's part of the reason. Anyway, <laughs> here to tell us more is the hilarious Rob Gleason. Green Mill. This is kind of fun. Recently, for the first time in my career, I was recognized walking down the street. I'll tell you the story. I'm not bragging. You'll know that when I tell you the story. Uh, there's two things you need to know for this story. The first is that my name is Rob Gleason. Okay. The second thing you need to know is that the night before I was recognized, the night before uh, I did, I was a guest on Conan. So here we go, word for word, swear to God, verbatim, what it was like to be recognized walking down the street. Here we go. Excuse me, hey! Are you Dave Gleason? Uh, do you mean Rob Gleason? Yeah. I saw you on Letterman. Sorry, do you, do you mean, um, do you mean Conan? Ah, wrong guy then. <laughs> and he just started walking away, and I was just like, no, wait, 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 Stop him, stop that man. Sir, I think I'm him. <laughs> I think I'm him. I think maybe you're just a little confused. And he goes, uh, he goes, all right, what were your jokes about? <laughs> I was like, um, okay. Okay, uh, I did a joke about uh, birthday parties. And I swear to God, he goes, ah, you are Dave, what's up, man? <laughs> hey, very funny. And here's the fucked up thing about me. 
the rest of that week, I was just like strutting around town with this attitude, like I'm Dave Cleason. <laughs> I've been on Letterman. So a couple of years ago, a couple of years ago, I, uh, I came out of the closet as gay. And for me, the hardest part about coming out was tracking down everyone from my childhood so I could tell them they were right. Uh, <laughs> it's so funny, after you come out, so many people from your past, after you come out, so many people from your past will tell you that they knew you were gay before you even like identified as gay. Like, after I came out, so many people from my childhood were like, Yeah, I knew Gleason was gay. I knew Rob Gleason sucked peepees. <laughs> yeah. No, I swear to God, dude, I swear to God, this is a true story. Gleason was 10 years old. He was playing Little League. I was like, that kid right there is going to be a queer. <laughs> there was just something about how he put the bat in his mouth. That kid right there. I don't, I don't know why I do that joke in a Brooklyn accent. I grew up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. <laughs> If you say anything in a Wisconsin accent, you have to invoke God and then end it with the words, good for him, though. <laughs> you know, if that little boy wants to grow up and spend his life going around putting baseball bats in his mouth, for God's sake, that's his God-given right. Good for him, though. <laughs> After I came out, I tried to embrace the gay community. I was living in Los Angeles at the time I would go. I tried to go to the gay clubs. Craziest part of a gay club is the men's bathroom. Because at a gay club, the men's bathroom is just like a smaller version of a gay club. It's like a gay club within a gay club, really. One time I was at a, a gay club and I was at, standing at the bar and uh, this guy next to me was there with his friends and he was like, hey man, me and my friends, we're all gonna go into the bathroom. Do you wanna come with? And at the time I was like newly out, you know? This is, so I was trying to make friends. So I was like, yeah, sure. And then when we were in the bathroom, he was like, hey man, we're all gonna go into the stall. Do you wanna come with? And I was like, yeah, sure. And then when we were in the stall, one of them pulled out like the tiniest little Ziploc bag I'd ever seen. And I swear to God, I thought he was gonna say, hey man, we're all gonna go into this tiny Ziploc bag. <laughs> Do you wanna come with? But what happened next is like the coolest thing that's ever happened to me. These guys offered me cocaine. Oh boy. Rob Gleason, not the kind of guy that gets offered blow. Uh, if anybody looks like an undercover cop, it's me. And if I don't look like an undercover cop, at the very least, I look like a tattletale. <laughs> so I said no to the blow, but then I just stood there and, and watched as they did cocaine, which is the most undercover cop thing you can do. <laughs> Doesn't matter. So that was a couple years ago. That was a couple years ago. I was in my uh, early 20s. Long time ago, early 20s. I flew home, did the whole thing when I came out. Flew home, told my parents, did all that. And I dated guys for a long time. Like went on so many dates, so many dates with so many great guys. All of them handsome and well-employed or whatever. And nothing ever stuck, like nothing ever clicked. And I would talk to my sisters on the phone and I'd be like, man, I can't like meet anyone. And they'd be like, oh, Robbie, that's just dating in LA in your 20s, don't worry about it. And uh, then one day at a birthday party, a birthday party of my friend Genevieve, uh, I met this girl and we, we like hit it off. We just had a really similar sense of humor and we like really clicked. And so we were like, all right, we just start hanging out. And so we just started hanging out and became like really good friends. And then one night uh, we hooked up and it was, it was amazing. It was unlike anything I had ever experienced before. It was like physical and emotional and connected. And so we just started dating. We just like stayed together and started dating. And, and we dated for like a long time. We've since broken up, but now I date girls. But now I'm in this place where like telling my parents I was gay was hard enough. I don't know how to go back to the dinner table. <laughs> and tell them that I'm bisexual or that I made a huge fucking mistake. <laughs> so now I'm in this place where my parents, my mom will ask me about boys. She'll be like, hey Rob, how's Josh? And I'll be like, uh, I don't know. But then at night I just sneak around and fuck ladies. <laughs> like. Uh, yeah. 
I'm starting to think that like maybe what turns me on isn't like guys or girls. Maybe what turns me on is lying to my parents. <laughs> Like, could you imagine if I had to come out a second time? My dad would have to send his coworkers another email. It would be on. <laughs> Subject line, update on Rob. Fishing trip back on? Uh, no, I think the hard part, I think the hard part, right, is that America, we just like, there's just not a lot of openly bisexual men that America can look up to, you know? It's pretty much just, well, yeah, okay. It's pretty much just me and Mike Pence, and that's tough. It's really tough. That's funny. No, look, I think it's, it's so hard. One of the hardest things in life is to like just, you know, is to just be yourself, right? And, and it took me a while, right? But, but I figured out who I am, you know? I'm, I'm Dave Gleason, and uh, oh, my name is Rob Gleason. Thank you guys very much. Thank you. Rob Gleason is a stand-up comedian living in Chicago. You might have seen him on Conan, or maybe Letterman. Who knows? And finally, we wanted to close out this week with something just obnoxious and hilarious. This stand-up is a Chicago native who now lives in Los Angeles and writes for television, and he's a machete favorite who makes us all laugh very hard. You're about to understand why. This is Dwayne Perkins. Hello. Hi. Hi, guys. Okay, so I really start every set by just, like, saying something personal. A little true personal story. Uh, before I started comedy, I was a, pro a professional dancer. Um, and I stopped dancing to do comedy because it was too much. But I still go to dance classes. And uh, being back for the holidays, I went to one of my favorite dance studios. And I went to a dance class. It was jazz funk, very fun. And there was a lot of arm swinging. And at one point, I swung my arm. And I punched this tiny little white woman. And, uh, and I was like, oh my god, I am so sorry. And she was like, it's cool, don't worry about it. And I was like, are you sure? Because this looks bad optically. And she was like, <clears throat> and she was like, no, don't worry about it. And I was like, okay, girl. Then I walked away, and then when I turned around, she was gone. But there was this like breeze that came past my face, and I heard this voice, and it was from my ancestors, and all they said was, my nigga. <laughs> 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 I punched the shit out of that woman. <laughs> and I felt so bad, but also I didn't because of history. Uh, <laughs> um, I feel like I'm only able to tell that joke because I am a homosexual. Um, I am, I am a black, poor, gay man, specifically in that order. Um, <laughs> I would say black first because I say nigga a lot and I got a big old dick. Um, <laughs> yes, it is girthy. Um, and then I would put poor before gay simply because I will pretend to be straight for money. Um, <laughs> it's true, I love dick, but I love financial stability more. Um, and this is how I know that homophobes are stupid and have been doing it wrong with things like conversion therapy. Sidebar on conversion therapy. Um, does anybody remember the program Scared Straight? Yeah, yeah mm -hmm. it was a little program where uh, the government sent little urban kids to, school, uh, to jail so that they can see the lives that they don't want to have. When I was younger, my mother sent me to Scared Straight because she thought it was a place that did conversion therapy. And it really backfired because it just ended up being a bunch of angry thugs yelling at me and me realizing that that's what I was into sexually. <laughs> they were like, hey, do you want to be in here? And I was like, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> I was like, do not tease me. I am young and impressionable. <laughs> but it's true, con conversion therapy is stupid and it doesn't work. But I do think I have this theory about what would work. Uh, like if after this show, a homophobe would come up to me and was like, hey, Dwayne, 
if you stop being gay, I will pay your student loans. I would be like, absolutely, pass me that plate of vagina. <laughs> that is how you eat it. I've eaten it before. <laughs> um, and I will tell you about it right now. So, uh, <laughs> I was 17, I was in the closet. I was dating this girl named Raven. I hope she's not here. <laughs> that is her real name. I do not know boundaries, Raven. And um, <laughs> uh, and it was the day that I lost my virginity. So we went to her grandparents' house because we're edgy. And um, we took off our clothes. We put on some music. I asked her if it could be Celine Dion. She said no. Uh, <laughs> and then I started to smash that cat. And. Um, and it was going pretty well. I was super committed to the role. Uh, she, she was looking at me. I was looking at a picture of her father. And, um, and then at one point she was like, hey. And I was like, what's up, girl? Because that's how I talked when I was straight. What's up, girl? <laughs> and she was like, go down on me. And I was like, um, for sure, love a challenge. So, um, so I go down there and ladies, it is complex down there. Um, and I was 17, I didn't really know what I was doing. So I just started experimenting. So I slapped it a little bit, um, blew inside of it, counted the rings to see how old it was. And then she was like, no, silly, use your tongue. And I was like, oh shit, thank you for the tip. So, um, so I proceed to place my tongue somewhere I can only describe as textually unsettling. Um, it had the texture of like a flan. <laughs> or like a very soft mango that's been through a lot. <laughs> but it tastes like a bag of nickels. And I was like, oh, oh God, ah, oh shit. Oh, I was like, oh, I am a homosexual. There it is. Um, but I couldn't tell her that cause I was still in the closet. So I was just like, I am so full. I can't have another bite. <laughs> um, and I never did. I came out immediately after that. Um, so um, I live in Los Angeles now, which is, uh, thank you. It has truly been uh, just okay. Um, <laughs> but it is much better than where I lived before. I lived in New York City, which is a bad place full of bad people. But um, it's true, it's true. Um, but I have really great memories there. Uh, I got my first writing job there. I was writing on a Netflix show called The Break with Michelle Wolf. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. It has been canceled. Um, it was a great job. Got to work with great people. Got to work with Michelle Wolf. Uh, yeah, who's a fantastic comic. She is, uh, if you don't know who she is, she is a superb comic who's a straight white woman. Um, I am a gay black man, which is the opposite of a straight white woman. So when I first started working on that show, I kept getting notes from the producers that I had to write more in her voice because if she said the things that I wrote, she would sound like a bigot. And I was like, girl, what? <laughs> what, are you, what are you saying? Are you saying that she can't say that Trump's a punk ass, bitch ass nigga? Then I was like, oh my God, I heard it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh shit, yeah. Ah, there it is. Um, I was like, right, 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 right. You right. You're right, I will take your note. So, um, so I took the note and I really started to practice and perfect my white woman point of view, my white woman perspective, right? Um, so much so that I started uh, to uh, see myself transform into a white woman. Um, for, for example, this morning, I was uh, sitting at a Panera looking at crystals on Etsy and... Um, <laughs> And I ordered my salad. When I ordered it, um, I ordered it with croutons. Uh, they, they asked me what kind of dressing I wanted. And I was like, Chardonnay, because I'm quirky. And then um, I went to go sit down. They brought me my salad. It did not have croutons. So I was like, excuse me, can I speak to your manager? And um, when they told me the manager wasn't there, I blacked out in anger. Um, and I woke up at a TJ Maxx. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, uh, these prices are so affordable. Um, 
Then one of the workers ran up to me and she was like, what are you doing? And I was like, I don't know. She was like, well, the cops are on their way. And I was like, who the fuck called the cops? And she was like, you did. And I was like, oh, transformation complete. <laughs> oh, oh, thank you, thank you. And then for good measures, I fucked a black man. <laughs> My parents were also disappointed. <laughs> Thank you so much, I'm Dwayne Perkins. Give it up for the fabulous Dwayne Perkins! Dwayne Perkins writes for Brooklyn Nine-Nine and occasionally shops at TJ Maxx. And that's it. That's the Paper Machete Audio Magazine, June 27th, 2020. Thank you for listening. Leah Munzee produces the Paper Machete with me, Christopher Pyatt. Our audio engineer is Jacob Serio. If you liked what you heard today and would like to help keep the machete afloat financially while we wait for the world to become safe for live comedy again, you can donate by visiting thepapermachete.org support. Or you can just rate and review us on iTunes or tell a friend about us any way you can. That way Tinkerbell won't fucking die, okay? We'll be back next week if the world doesn't blow up first, fingers crossed, and we'll leave you with one more from Glitter Money. Happy Pride or Ambivalent Pride or whatever. And as always, night night, Mrs. Steinberg, wherever you be.